So in our text today, we see that Paul is talking about a profound mystery. And if you are married or have been married, you can understand that's exactly what it is. Because you're wondering, how did we get here? How do we make it better? How do we find happiness and contentment and intimacy once more? That God has wired men and women differently. And here are some of the statements that we've made. We see them made between spouses and show how we tend to hear things differently. So the first one, this is what he heard his wife say. You're way too stunned to be trusted driving alone in bad weather at your age. But what she actually said was, drive carefully, dear. And when she heard her husband say, anything less than absolute perfection makes you an utter failure as a wife and mother. And what he actually said was, my mom is coming over for dinner tonight. <laughs> what he heard his wife say, honey, why don't you put your head in a vice and I'll turn the handle until your skull explodes. And what she actually said, Honey, why don't you turn off the hockey game and let's just sit and talk. And this last one, what she heard him say, Life as we know it will cease to exist unless you can alter the space-time continent. And what he actually said was, Honey, are you almost ready? So we tend to filter one another's words and we only hear what we want to hear. But God has wired us differently as men and women. But for some reason, we get these thoughts in our heads that God either wants us to be a dictator or a doormat in our marriage. But according to the Bible, both are wrong. But once a year, I make a huge mistake, and I confess to it at the first service. I'm putting together the sermon schedule, who's going to speak, and I don't look ahead at the topic, and I don't put James in there. Instead, I put my name in. So I've got uh, the topic of husbands and wives and marriage here this morning. But this is going to be easier because my wife's not sitting there <laughs> through this one. So what did you imagine marriage was going to be like? What kind of dreams and wishes went through your mind as the wedding march was being played? Have your expectations been met? Did it play out as you envisioned it? Now, I don't want you to shout out yes or no as an answer, but just in your mind be thinking. Because if expectations haven't been met, then people will often flee from the marriage. It's too hard. Too much is expected. Uh, I thought I was, it was going to be different than this. And for others, they accept compromise. I'll do this and you do that. You can go on your golf trip, but I get to go on my trip and do some shopping. And so we end up trying to satisfy both ourselves and our spouse. And the next thing, you know, we seem to be committed to the marriage, but we're not committed to that person who is our spouse. Jennifer Lopez, I think she's been married four times now. And this is what she says. My philosophy is to be happy at the moment. And then if that husband isn't making her happy, then let's get rid of that husband. But there are a lot of people who have a similar view when it comes to matrimony. As long as my spouse fulfills the role I think they should, then I'm happy and we're going to have a good marriage. But that type of attitude puts the focus on self rather than on your spouse. And it totally disregards what God tells you to do. 
because he was the one who instituted marriage back in Genesis chapter 2. Now, I need to warn you that these verses are written to Christians. Originally, the words were written to the church in Ephesus. For those of you who haven't accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, this might seem like radical teaching to you. And to be honest, this is difficult teaching for some of us who are believers. But we've been looking at some switches that we need to make in our lives during this study in Ephesians. And today we're going to focus on some switches that husbands and wives need to throw in their perspective of marriage. And even if you aren't married, these principles can help you to choose who you are going to get married to. And it can help you in counsel that you give to others, in family or friends. So we start with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And you'll note in your Bible that there are sections and there are headings and there are verses. When this book was written, it was a letter. But along the way, people had tried to determine how you could break up the scriptures and the chapters. But this verse 21 is actually located apart from the section on scripture. And remember that when this was written, there was no chapter and verse distinction. So the lines about being filled with the Holy Spirit and being submissive to one another set up Paul's upcoming section on how we are to be submissive in all ways. So chapter 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And you might say, well, how does being submissive honor or respect Christ? Well, the thing is, this is a God-ordained structure. We see it throughout the New Testament. Citizens are to be submissive to the government officials. Children are to be submissive to their parents. Church members are to be submissive to their leaders. And in this text, he talks about submission regarding the marriage relationship. So we're going to look at two switches that the wives need to make or throw, and then two switches that husbands need to make. But remember the context. What we're talking about today shouldn't be tried without the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's impossible. So perspective number one, think submission, not slavery. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now women, let's be honest, this probably isn't a passage of scripture that you were going to embroider on your bathrobe. It's not one that you're going to put on a plaque and have it right there by the front entrance to your house. And for men, there are some of you that only know two verses of scripture. Jesus wept and then Wives, be submissive to your husbands. And somewhere along the way, you picked up the idea that the Bible confirms that the wife's role in marriage is to be attentive to her husband's every need and wish. It's like those, you don't see these commercials anymore, but it used to be a commercial of a man just reclining on a sofa, and there's his wife, she's feeding him grapes, and she's fanning him with a long palm leaf. But that's not the way it is, gentlemen. It would be nice if it was like that, but that's not the way it is. A wife isn't to be a slave. She is to be, as God said when he created Eve, that she would be a helpmate for Adam. Now, some men 
misinterpret this to have a wife over whom he can call the shots. Some women misinterpret this to mean that they have no say whatsoever. And then they get their defenses up against a concept which isn't an accurate picture of what the Bible is teaching. So verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So let's try to understand this lightning rod word, submit, a little better. And we'll begin with what it doesn't mean. Now, I have something here for you that John Piper said. He said, submission does not mean that the husband's word is absolute, only Christ's word is absolute. No wife should follow a husband into sin. You can't do that in reverence to Christ. Submission does not mean surrendering thought. It does not mean no input on decisions or no influence on her husband. It does not come from ignorance or incompetence. John Piper goes on to say, Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. So that word from the Greek, submit, it doesn't convey the innate inferiority, but it calls for an active, deliberate, and loving devotion. And it was really a Greek military term, meaning to arrange under the command of a leader. And in non-military use, it would be the voluntarily giving up of one's life or relinquishing your rights. When you get on an airplane, I expect that one of the pilots is the captain. So if there is an emergency or a crisis, I don't want two or three people arguing over who's in charge. I want them looking to the leader and saying, okay, what do we do now? When football players go into a huddle, that's what it's called before the play starts, and the quarterback is calling the next play. They, they don't look to the smartest person on the team. They don't look to the biggest or even the strongest. They look to the quarterback because he has the team's best interest at heart. And the others submit to him even when they disagree, and they all go in together on that play. In 1 Peter 3, it goes even further, and Peter addresses the women in the first century who are actually married to men who aren't yet Christians. In the same way, you wives should yield to your husbands. Then, if some husbands do not obey God's teaching, they will be persuaded to believe without anyone saying a word to them. They will be persuaded by the way their wives live. Your husbands will see the pure lives you live with your respect for God. So I was just looking through our membership list over the years, and I was quickly able to come up with 20 names of men who became Christians sometime after their wives had become Christians. And it, a lot of it was because of the effect that the change in her life had upon him. Now there's another perspective switch for wives, and, and that must be to think devotion, not duty. God doesn't say, Submit to your husband if he deserves it or submit to him because he's such a wonderful husband or submit to him because he's an amazing provider. But submit 
as you do to the Lord. That's the instruction. And gentlemen, this may come as a blow to your ego, but technically and scripturally, your wife submits to you out of devotion for God than out of duty to you. Mutual submission defined as one person considering the other is better than themselves is clearly taught in Scripture. Here are a couple of others to look at quickly. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So totally getting out of, it's all about me, to honoring the other person. Uh, Philippians 2. When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than to yourselves. And it's so easy for us to kind of bring the honor towards me, but we are to give that toward the other. So humility must be the goal, regardless of whether you are a husband or a wife. But we have a hard time in marriage swallowing our pride. I read about a married couple who were at the point of giving one another the silent treatment. And it was bedtime, the husband had to get up at 5 a.m. to catch a flight, and he was a horrible morning person. So he wasn't going to break the silence thing, so he wrote a note for his wife, would you please wake me up at 5 a.m.? The next morning he wakes up, his wife's not in bed, and he looks at the clock, and at 7.30 his flight is just taking off, and then he notices a note there on the night table. It's 5 a.m., wake up. So it's just a, a constant demand for our rights. And when that happens, relationships crumble. So wives, when you're tempted to reject your husband's authority, ask yourself, if Christ asked me to do this, would I do it willingly? Because your submission, you looking to your husband with respect, that is going to go an amazingly long way as a testimony to others of your love for Christ. And Jesus, he was amazing in the way that he treated women. And there are examples of it all throughout the New Testament. He reached out to the Samaritan woman at the well. And there were the women who came to the tomb. They were the first ones to see that empty tomb. He was sympathetic to women. And it was revolutionary in his day. So if Jesus could go against societal prejudices, maybe he can, you can follow his word and the encouragement to respect your husband. So here are a few practical ways to show respect to your husband. You might praise him in public. You could treat him the way that you want to be treated. You could minister to his needs the way you hope he would minister to yours. You can write him a note. Tell him how wonderful he is. I know when I get home, there's going to be a note there because my wife heard there this during the first service. But take an honest interest in his world. If he golfs, maybe... Learn to golf so you can go along and, and spend that extra time with him. But now there are a couple of switches that the husbands need to make. And let me unpack for you this love that Paul describes and wants husbands to have for their wives. So verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So this first perspective switch is think dedication, not dominance. Now, it's interesting that Paul tells a husband to love his wife, but he doesn't tell the wives to love their husbands. And I think that is because, for the most part, women loving, it's a given. Women tend to be able to express their feelings better, 
and God wired them to love their husband. While men have a tendency to say, she knows I love her, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let her know. But Paul says, you show her that you love her. You tell her. You talk with her. You comfort her. You hold her. You let her know over and over again that she is loved and cherished. Christ-like spiritual leadership in the home is driven by love, affection, and a deep dedication to someone's best interest. And this is shown in the next few verses. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it to make it belong to God. Christ used the word to make the church clean by washing it with water. He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. He died so that the church could be pure and without fault, with no evil or sin or any other wrong thing in it. Some people say when Paul said, wives be submissive to your husbands, that he was merely just being politically correct in his time period because women weren't allowed to speak publicly. They weren't allowed to testify in court. They couldn't vote. They were mostly seen as property and bearers of children more than anything else. But if you say that, that you aren't true to the text because Paul doesn't let men off the hook. He goes on in the same passage and says some political incorrect statements to the husbands. And he lays it on the line at a time when no one was elevating womanhood by saying that a husband is to have an agape or an unconditional love for his wife, so much that he would sacrifice his desires for hers. So in other words, she comes first. So you talk about a concept that was anti-cultural. And when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians around 70 AD, it was unquestionably a man's world. And his instructions on sacrificial love, they were so against the norm. And while God's word is conveying the intent for the man to be the spiritual leader, it is accompanied by the expectation that the husband should love his wife as Jesus loves the church. Now, countless studies have shown that a man's greatest need is to be respected, and a woman's greatest need is to feel loved. And God's so amazing because that's exactly what he says here. He created us so he knows how we're wired, and he says, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Dr. Emerson Egerich wrote a book on this passage, and this is what he said in this book called Love and Respect. He points out that what most men don't realize, if a husband is commanded to have an unconditional love for his wife, then evidently she truly needs love. In fact, she needs love just as she needs air to breathe. So picture it, would you? The wife having an air hose that goes to a love tank. And when her husband bounds in and starts prancing around like a 10-point buck looking for some place to graze, he steps on her air hose. This does not make her a happy camper. In fact, if she could find a baseball bat or some other weapon, she might just whack the big buck and tell him, get off my air hose, I can't breathe. Simply put, when her deepest need is being stepped on, you can expect her to react negatively. So he said in counseling, I tell the husband that when he sees the spirit of his wife deflate, he is stepping on her air hose. She is crying out, I feel unloved by you right now. I can't believe you're doing this to me. 
But Egerich points out the husband needs respect just as he needs air to breathe. And he also has an air hose that runs over to a big tank labeled respect. And as long as the air is coming through, he is just fine. So I pointed out earlier that a wife is to respect her husband even if that husband isn't a Christian or isn't loving her the way that he should. And by the same token, a husband is to love his wife even when she's not submitting. And in that culture, that was extremely radical for him to say that. John Piper again, he said, Headship is not a right to command and control. It's a responsibility to love like Christ, to lay down your life for your wife in servant leadership. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. And then the last switch that the husband must make is think sacrifice, not, self, not selfishness. So we're picking up in verse 28. In the same way husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies, the man loves his, who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hates his own body, but feeds and takes care of it. And that is what Christ does for the church, because we are parts of his body. So guys, Paul is saying you must be willing to lay down your life for this woman that you love, this woman to whom you said, I do. And while her love is to be submissive, your love is to be sacrificial. So lay down your possessions and your titles and your pursuits for your wife. And it's not because she deserves it, although she most certainly may, or because she has earned it, but because you love her. And you don't demand that submission or respect if you try to gain the obedience and respect of someone by putting them on a leash. That's not marriage. That's parenting. As we, marriage is to be different. It's realizing that you are sacrificially sold out for this woman and that you would do anything within the limits of God's law to communicate that love to her. And that's so hard for us men because we're so big on convenience, and we're not so big on self-sacrifice. So guys, we just can't imagine the joy that it brings into our wife's life when we love her the way that Christ loved the church. So we are to step up and spiritually lead in the home, and that's a responsibility we accepted when we got married. And there have been times in our marriage when I did something that appeared to be too extravagant for my wife. I would sacrifice and I would make it work, but I did this because I love her. But to be honest, the fact that she's such an amazing wife made it easier as well. But if you are struggling in a marriage, it's not too late for God to restore and rekindle your love. If God can take a stick and he can part the Red Sea, if he can take a little pebble and bring down a nine-foot-tall giant, if he can just say the word and a, a raging sea is calm, then he can radically improve your marriage if both the husband and wife are willing to pay the price to make the necessary changes. But one of you has to be willing to take that first step. And hear me when I say that God is more concerned with the direction that you're going in than he is with your perfection. 
You're not going to be perfect, but he wants you walking in the right direction. So take the steps to move in that direction. God has set up a structure whereby a husband and wife can both derive the greatest fulfillment by meeting the greatest need of their spouse. And here's the problem most of us experience. We expect our spouse to meet all our needs. We expect our spouse to be everything to us. But that's impossible. I can't fulfill every need for my wife emotionally, physically, spiritually, spirit, and, and, and relationally. I just can't do it. I fall short in all those areas. And if I put all my hope in her, then I'm setting up my marriage for failure. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. That's why it says we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit because he can't let you down. And the Holy Spirit comes along and just fills in all those gaps that are there in your relationship. So no wonder we're told in this same section, be filled with the Holy Spirit because it holds the answer to your marriage. So God's plan is for the husband and wife to work together. One guy said that marriage is like a dance. It's not a debate to be won. So husbands, I've never seen a truly Christian woman having a hard time submitting to her husband if he is loving her the way that Christ loved the church. Why love and respect? Because this is an amazing demonstration to the world. It's a witness to an unbelieving world. And if every marriage illustrated Christ's love for the church, this community would be transformed amazingly. You want to talk about submission and sacrifice? Jesus is the ultimate example of each of those. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, not my will be done, but yours be done. And then he went to the cross of Calvary, and he sacrificed himself to pay the price for our sins. And if you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, then all you have to do is do that. You can talk to me. You can talk to one of our leadership. If you're watching online, you found us to watch, so you can find us to uh, contact us and speak about what it means to have this relationship that we keep talking about in the book of Ephesians.